0: Welcome to Late is Live. It is Sunday night. It is November 8th, the year of our Lord, 2020. We're jam-packed. As you can imagine tonight, we had a great night of football last night. Some that you watched, some you didn't watch. You'll hear about pretty much all of it here on the show tonight. I mean, Notre Dame did it. Florida did it. Liberty did it. My Iowa State Cyclones are now atop the Big 12 standings. Arkansas did it. We've got to talk about Tennessee. We've got to talk about Georgia. Oh, we got to talk about South Carolina. So we've got that plus an early best bet. Someone out there is about to be smart enough to hire Hugh Freeze. As I said, we are jam packed. If you haven't already, subscribe to the 24 7 Sports YouTube channel. Click that little bell icon so you can get notified when we go live. We do it three nights a week. We appreciate all of you being here. Also, subscribe to the Late Kick Podcast. We're back on normal schedule this week. So we'll look at all the gator emojis in the chat. So we'll have our normal schedule two nights or two two mornings, I guess, Tuesday and Thursday have late kick extra. So, uh, you can start submitting your questions for that. Again, email address is listed on the screen below and you know, my Twitter handle at late kick Josh. Also, I was going to stop doing this, but I can't stop cause the submissions keep coming. So, uh, and we got flooded with them last week. I was on Colin. We went on the air last weekend at the beginning of the Sunday show and the beginning of the Thursday show. I put out the call to action. And by the time I got off the air, I already had like 12 or 13 emails. So what I've been doing very quickly, cause most of you, uh, this doesn't pertain to you, but what I've been doing is a lot of you a, a while back reached out to me. You wanted consultation, one-on-one advice, feedback, how in the world do I get into that business? What is your advice? If I want to go this way, that way, uh, if I want to launch a YouTube channel, how do I do it? Well, so I've been having some one-on-one zoom consultations with you guys are about an hour a piece, been having really, really good feedback with you. I mean, I'd hire like 30 of you if I could right now, so I don't think we have uh, that kind of budget for the late kick staff. But if you want a piece of that, email me, uh, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or DM me on Twitter at latekickjosh. All right, let's dive in. Uh, We are going to go all over the place. So first place I want to go is Jacksonville, Florida, 44, Georgia, 28, um... Where would you start? I was wondering that as I was driving in here today. Where would you start if you were talking about this? Well, normally I like to go down the winner's route first, but I'm going to talk about Kirby and George's future here. I'm going to definitely talk about the quarterback situation there. I'm going to talk about everything Florida. There was a false padlock stat in this game. Padlock stats, we have our own language here on Lake Kick, and padlock stats, as I've explained many times, are stats where if I showed them to you Friday, you'd know everything you needed to know about the outcome of the game. Well, what a lot of you have taken to doing is you've taken to emailing me or DMing me on Twitter after games saying, hey, look, a padlock stat. But see, some padlock stats aren't really padlock stats. Some of them are false. Let me give you an example of what a false padlock stat is. What if I told you On Friday or even Saturday morning sitting there having breakfast with your kids what if I were to tell you today for your Georgia Bulldogs you are going to outrush Florida by 68 yards you're going to hold Kyle Pitts to two catches and you're going to grab a 14 to nothing lead how confident would you have been how much money How much of your savings account would you have dipped into to dump money on the University of Georgia plus whatever? Just take them on the money line. That's what happened yesterday. And yet, here is the bomb that got dropped on you. Even with all that being the case, you still trailed by 17 at the half. Yes, you heard that right if you missed the first half of this game. Georgia both grabbed a 14-0 lead and trailed by 17 at the half. Our best bet last week was Florida plus four and a half we felt the wrong team was favored. I told you that all week. We gave you our reasoning. We don't need to look back on that. However, some of you started to have doubts. No sooner had I settled in across the walkway here in the 24-7 sports office than Georgia was up 14 to nothing. And I looked and I saw the phone, saw the iJosh going crazy, Twitter notifications all over the place. And I looked in my DMs and a lot of you were daring to question our bet of Florida plus four and a half. And none of you wanted to out yourselves afterwards. I'm not going to out you, but you know who you are. So Florida comes through with flying colors. I had a hard time painting a path for Georgia last week. Believe me, it's not in, it's not normally in my best interest to make one of our best bets a bet that goes against one of our biggest audiences. And Georgia's one of our biggest audiences. But I couldn't find a way for him. And especially when I knew Jordan Davis probably wasn't going to play for him. And listen, I thought Louis Seen was going to be out. He started, ended up getting knocked out of the game. But that plus having a decided advantage at quarterback for Florida and knowing that they're peaking at the right time. If you've watched Florida this year, they've been getting better, especially coming out of that little two or three week pause. They've been getting better. Georgia banged up, limited offense for Georgia. There was this talking point, and I didn't know it was a big deal until later in the week, because as I've told you, I don't watch other shows. I just don't listen to other shows. I'll tell you exactly what I listen to. I listen to Barton and Bud stuff, and they they do that in-house here, I listen to theirs, very informed. It's a lot of deep dive stuff. It's the kind of content that I prefer. Um, And I'll listen to the guys who do the Cover 3 podcast. I'll listen to that sometimes. Especially, I'll listen to reaction type stuff. But otherwise, I don't watch the studio shows. So a lot of times, you guys are hearing stuff all week that I don't know you're hearing. So I was doing radio in Atlanta Saturday morning with Hudson Mason, and he throws a stat at me, and I heard Rusty say it earlier in the week, too, about the rushing numbers and how decided an advantage is in this particular series for the team that has more rushing yards. And I I picked up on the idea that this must be a major talking point out there in the kind of college football ecosystem about this game. I couldn't have cared less about it, and I told told Hudson Mason that. I told Rusty that. I told everyone that. I mean, maybe someone outrushes someone and wins in this game, but I really don't think that'll be the key factor. It didn't mean anything. Georgia's rushing totals yesterday, 29 runs, 165 yards. They averaged 5.7 a carry. Those are good numbers. Florida was 37 for 97, 2.6 per carry. Did it matter? Nope. Didn't matter. It didn't matter for them about as much as it didn't matter for LSU at times last year. When, you know, Clyde Edwards Alaire and those guys, I mean, they'd, they'd do enough on the ground, but that's not how they were winning games. That's the only way Georgia was going to win yesterday. That wasn't the way Florida was going to win. So Trask was everything. The run game wasn't everything. Kyle Trask was everything. 30 of 43, 474 through the air. A vast majority of those passing yards came in the first half. Four touchdowns, one interception. How about this number? Talking about depth. At the wide receiver position. If I had a couple of questions about Florida earlier in the year, it was how truly deep are they going to be, are they going to be with difference makers at the receiver position? Because I, you knew the names, but I wanted to know how deep are they going to be consistently. They had seven wide receivers with at least 39 yards receiving yesterday. That's a heck of a job of development, that's a heck of a job of play calling, distribution, everything. That's a heck of a job right there by Florida. Do you remember back in week one, last thing I told Colin before I walked in the room here the studio, I said, Colin, do you remember in week one how much much pushback we got? Because here's what I did. I picked Georgia to win the SEC East in the preseason. I told you I'm not convicted in this. It's like 52-48 kind of opinion. And then I watched week one. I watched what happened at Arkansas with Georgia, and I watched what Florida did to Ole Miss, and I immediately reversed my opinion on the SEC East. And a lot of you said, you can't flip-flop. I said, of course I can. It's my pick. I can do whatever I want to with it. And then some other folks came forward and said, you're an idiot. Florida plays no defense. Georgia will expose them. I just didn't feel that way. I know Florida's defense left a lot to be desired in week one. I watched the same game you guys did. But I thought that there were a lot of parallels to be drawn between that Florida team and LSU last year. This is a very tired comparison. I know you're tired of hearing it. And I, as sure as I say, I'm not comparing them to LSU shot for shot last year. You'll still take that away. So that's fine. I can only tell you what I'm telling you. And what I'm telling you is they've improved defensively. Getting Kyrie Campbell back was big, but it's an improved product. That's what great teams do. They improve week over week. You get this idea frozen in your head from the first images you see of a team. I mean, how's that working out for you with Michigan? You know, like, you can't do that. you got to understand the good teams, the ones that are going to end up being good to great, They're going to progress week over week. They're going to be incremental to significant improvement week over week. Well, now Florida's not going to be a top five defensive unit in America at any point this year. They don't have to be because their offense fits that description. But yesterday, I mean, Georgia, they got some yards. They got some points. But Florida's defense is plenty good enough at this point for them to be competitive against pretty much everyone. It's not a finished product. There's a lot of points Georgia left on the field yesterday. But what I felt was when those two teams eventually match up, I'm a lot more likely this year to see the result we saw yesterday than to see a 16-14 to 14 rock fight. I just didn't think that was the kind of game we were going to get this year, and we didn't. So, you know, it's a testament to Florida, like, you, we get all that, okay, the congratulations, the pats on the back, but Florida's offense bought that defense time this year, and they've come far enough, and it's it's such a huge outcome. For Dan Mullen and Florida, aside from the obvious. You understand what it does this year. It pretty much puts them in Atlanta to face probably Alabama for the SEC championship game. But here's what's happened. We were asking the question in kind of a rhetorical manner Thursday, could there be a balance of power shift in the East? That's still to be determined, by the way, based on what this team does with this win. But there's already been a little shift. I'll give you the little shift. As this game was wrapping up yesterday, I had some Bama folks text me saying, I'd I'd much rather face Georgia again than face Florida. When's the last time someone said that? When's the last time anyone in the SEC West was looking ahead to a hypothetical matchup in Atlanta and saying, ooh, Florida scares me a lot more than Georgia does? Don't overlook that. That's a big deal. Okay, you want to know about a program growing? You want to know about progression? Whatever the dynamics are, whatever you think is isolated to this year, the point is Florida's got folks more scared in the West now than Georgia does. I don't think that means nothing. It may not mean everything, but that, that's not something to just toss to the side because that's something that you look back on five years from now and you may say, you know, I knew this stuff was shifting when those folks in Tuscaloosa got a little more worried about the team in Gainesville than the team in Athens because that has not been the case as recently as a month ago for a lot of them. That wasn't the case. Now I want to talk about Kirby, though, and I want to talk about Georgia. I listened to his post-game presser yesterday, and I got to be honest, there are some terrible questions thrown his way. Uh, Credit him. He didn't win a game yesterday, but he won his press conference because, my goodness, at any point I thought he was going to backhand the laptop or whatever virtual setting he had camera in front of him. There were some bad questions thrown his way, but I'll tell you one of the best ones that was thrown his way was from Jake Rowe, uh, it's very clear who understands the game and who doesn't. So Jake's a football guy. He understands the game. I think he's coached it as well. So he throws a question at Kirby Smart, and Kirby can go any direction he wants to with it. And this is after the game, so we've all seen the game play out. And Jake essentially asked him, what kind of offense do you want to have? Because there's this notion out there, and you can correct it if I'm wrong. There's this notion that you just want to possess the ball, ball control, bleed the clock, run it, the two-to-one run-to-pass ratio. Like, how do you want to play? And Kirby said, I want to win. That's how I want to play. I want to play in whatever gives us the best chance to win. That's the style. So now I want to go to the accusations being thrown Kirby Smart's way. Uh, You know that I'm kind of a, a pendulum setter here on the show where I'm never as critical. Most of the time, I'm never as critical as the most critical, but I'm never as praiseworthy as the most praiseworthy. So now the pendulum has swung on Kirby where I'm going to have to pull you guys back to the center a little bit. There's a big gap between can't and hasn't. There's a lot of can't being thrown around about Kirby right now. Can't develop quarterback. Can't have a functional offense, can't develop on that side of the ball, period. Maybe it's been lackluster thus far. Maybe the quarterback situation has been mismanaged or maybe it hasn't because the bottom line is until the end of time, you nor I were not involved in that program when it came down to Justin Fields and and Jake Fromm and no one's changing their mind on that. But I'm just saying there could have been 47 different factors that none of us were privy to that went a long way in making the decision they made. So my point is, whatever happened, I'll I'll play devil's advocate for you. Let's say they did mismanage the quarterback situation. The point he's making now is that's in the past. It's not like after every loss as a head coach, you sit around and you say, darn it, if we had just made a different decision three years ago, where would we be? Irrelevant. That's the answer. It doesn't matter because you can't go back and change it. So what he's saying and his answer yesterday, I encourage you to go back and watch it. His answer to Jake Rowe was, I want to play In a way that we win the game. That's the style. And he said, we could run the plays Alabama runs right now. We could run the plays Florida runs. It's not like the plays are hard to figure out. We don't have the horses to run the plays. And until we have them, it's not like we can just snap our fingers and say, I think we'll run the Alabama offense this week. This is where the Xbox crowd and the football crowd don't really jive. The Xbox crowd sometimes thinks it's as simple as looking, not liking what you see, And you hit the reset button. That's what you can do in Xbox World. You can't do that in the real world. In the real world, you gotta lick your wounds, you gotta go home, you gotta get bandaged up, and you gotta go play Missouri, who's off a bye, and you're only favored by 13 points against this week. And then you gotta finish your season, and then you gotta go get the horses, and you gotta bring them into the stable, and then you gotta let them run. You can't let them run if you just got Dobermans. You gotta have horses. Horses many things. Dobermans, they are not, and vice versa. And so, in the meantime, what do you do? You, what, what do you do? Do you, do you sit there and just make the same criticism every week? Because I can tell you right now, the same as I told you about Stetson Bennett early on, that, that you remember... A lot of you remember, you've been silent now, but a lot of you who were all in our DMs when, when you said we were hating on Stetson Bennett, we weren't hating on anybody. That kid's not an SEC championship caliber quarterback. It was plain as day back then. It's, it's clear now. It's as clear now as it was back then. I don't know why people tried to convince themselves of otherwise, but the hope back then was you'd had the, you had the JT Daniels ace in the hole. You had it in your back pocket, and at any point, Kirby's pulling it out. He's not close. To going in. He's not close to being ready to play. And I wouldn't count on it happening. That's not inside information, mind you. It's not something I've heard in the last 24 hours. It's just context clues. It's I I don't know if you noticed, they had to go to their backup quarterback yesterday. It wasn't JT Daniels, it was Dewan Mathis. Whatever you want to make of that, make of it. But I will say this: when you watch Mathis go in, I think it's pretty obvious why Bennett had been the guy starting. So he's he being Kirby, has been starting the best option he has. He just doesn't have options. Do you know how helpless that probably feels? You can say it's his fault or not, but that's what they have to play with. So I will say this though, as much as I may say, hey, give him time, give him time. And it's not like there's any hot seat talk with him. We got plenty of hot seat talk coming up, trust me. This goes back to the point I made in 2017 down in Columbus, GA. And I'm making it now. And I've made it every year since then. I kind of made it with LSU last year. This sounds like it's a no-brainer, but I don't really think sometimes folks view it in the proper context. It is so beyond imperative that you win a championship when you have a chance to win a championship. There is never a guarantee you're going back. I don't care if you recruit the number one class in the country every year until the end of eternity. There are 100 moving pieces in this sport. You can have a loaded roster every year. You get to a championship like they did in 2017, you get into overtime in a championship, you better win it, because LSU won it last year. They're a disaster right now. It doesn't matter. No one's taking that title away from them. Georgia got that close. Then they got pretty close again the next year. And the talking point coming out of it, trust me, I was in Georgia at the time, so I know good and well what the talking point was. The talking point was, this hurts, this sucks, but that's all right. We'll get ours eventually, because we're, we're going to be there every year. I mean, how could we not with this roster? This is how. This, is, this season is an example of how. Last year, that's an example of how. So it's only been a little while. Kirby's going to be there a lot longer. He, they may win four of them for all I know, but they hadn't won one yet. And do you feel like you're closer or further away from a national title today than you were in 2017? Think about that because now the roster is entirely Kirby's. It wasn't back then. That was still part Rick, park smart. So this game, it works in funny ways. You got to win those titles when you can win them. Now, Florida, we're going to talk about this more this week. Next question is do they handle their business the rest of the way? And then the question a little ways down the road that we're not going to wait until, we'll probably talk about it this week, how do they compare with Alabama? Why not? Let's just start wildly making predictions sometime this week. So congratulations to Dan Mullen and congratulations to um, the Florida Gators. Speaking of congratulations, oh my goodness, Notre Dame, 47, Clemson, 40. A lot of times these games are built up A lot of times they don't deliver, but woo, this one delivered last night, goes into overtime. Got to go right back to what we were just talking about. If you're watching this video individually, this is part of Late Kick Live overall, so Colin has cut the video out if you're watching it later, but I was just a couple of minutes ago talking about the difference between can't and haven't. A lot of people say, Brian Kelly can't win the big game. A lot of people had previously said, Brian Kelly can't beat uh, an elite team like a Clemson or an Alabama. No, that's never been true. He hasn't. There's a big difference between hasn't and can't. Brian Kelly hadn't, but now he has. Now, earlier this year, I was talking to Brian Kelly when it was the middle of the offseason, and I really was struck by just how brutally honest he is about everything. So sometimes you've got to handle coaches... Uh, in, in a little more uh, PR-centric kind of way. And they got some talking points they want you to toss to them. And you get the sense early on, this interview is not really going to accomplish much. Brian Kelly's not like that. Brian Kelly's really honest. He's really open, really forthright. And so, you know, since I was doing an interview, you guys were going to see anyway. I said, I know good and well what our viewers want to know. So I'm just going to ask this guy. Colin, let's cue this up. This is a couple of months ago, myself talking to Brian Kelly. And I want you to keep in mind what you saw last night as you listen to his response to this question. And yet there's this tier and that's the way that people look at college football now in tiers. And you got Clemson and Alabama and folks don't necessarily throw Notre Dame in that top tier yet. And I would imagine it's because there hasn't been that national championship. Yeah. There's no doubt. Notre Dame's close. Is there a feeling internally, or maybe you don't even look at it like this, but is there a feeling internally that there's one more step we got to take? And if so, what is that next step? What comes in that final step in the process? Well, I think the, the final step is to continue. You have to do this on a consistent basis. You know, three double-digit win seasons, four out of five, is beginning to show signs of that consistency. But I think that has to come first. Consistently, double-digit wins put you then in a position where you can recruit uh, at the highest level then I think the final stage of that is you have to break through and win one of those games. You know, we've been in a number of those and I've led our team to a number of those games. And we quite frankly have not broken through. We will, I had a similar situation at the other programs that I've, uh, of, uh, been at, and, and, and we had to keep banging at that door, but we finally broke through and we'll, we'll break through at Notre Dame. So a few takeaways, number one, the guy on the right needs to buy a few more white shirts number number two takeaway here though in a much more serious manner is they won a game last night against Clemson who had a number one next to their name I don't care who was out did you see who was in I'll get to that in a second I, I know Trevor Lawrence was out I know they had a couple of defensive guys out but like I just asked you did you see who was in because I've been told uh, about a thousand times a day if I've been told once that once these two teams play again and they probably will Trevor Lawrence will just mop the floor with Clemson could I ask you something Uh, 29 of 44, 439 yards and two touchdowns. Is Trevor Lawrence putting up a stat line a whole lot better than that? I don't think so. You know how I don't? Because he hasn't so far. And so DJ Uyangalale played out of his mind last night. That was winning football he played. They didn't win the game, but that was winning football. As we said leading up to the game last week, that wasn't going to be the problem for Notre Dame, or it wasn't going to be the problem for Clemson, rather the problem is going to be the defensive guys they were missing. Now, if you're going to insinuate to me that once Clemson is 100% defensively, then it's going to be a lot tougher task for Notre Dame. Well, I'll grant you that. It it was a tough task for them last night, but I mean, let's not pretend every single bounce in that game went Notre Dame's way either. Uh, There were, uh, you know, a lot of things, I call them Bob plays. They could be flags. They could be a, a random fumble into the end zone, all sorts of things that make or break a game. But, Clemson had no weakness at quarterback last night. So let's dive into this a little ways. Because last night, DJ Uyangalale wrecked what was going to be a great padlock stat in this game. As I told you, there were some fake padlock stats out there last night. What if I were to tell you Friday morning that uh, total rushing, Notre Dame was going to have forty-one rushing, or 41 attempts for 209 rushing yards. That's 5.1 per carry. Clemson was going to have 33 runs for 34 total rushing yards. I did the, I did the math. That's about one yard per carry. DJ Uyangalale almost wrecked that single-handedly. That kind of rushing disparity normally exists in a three-plus touchdown whim. And yet that guy played so out of his mind last night, Clemson almost still won the game. So their vulnerability was not offensive. And I don't care when Trevor Lawrence comes back you you better get a much better defensive effort or you're going to have the same kind of game. Notre Dame is overrated. Is probably something I'm told every day, every time the hour hand passes 12. It's like like on the hour, every hour, someone's got to tell me that. And I've always pushed back on it only because I don't know of anyone that's overrating them. Anyone whose opinion really matters. Okay. I'm not talking about your uncle Jethro. I'm talking about folks whose opinion really matters. I've not seen to this point this year, I had not seen anyone put Notre Dame above Ohio State or Alabama or Clemson until last night, mind you. I had not seen anyone doing that. And so a- aside from that group, they're about as good as anyone else out there, or they have been so far this year. No one's overrated them. Not many people had overrated them. Uh, this game's going to resonate. I'm telling you, this game's going to resonate. Will there be a rematch? There probably will. Will they be an underdog in it? They absolutely will. Will it be a blowout? I think that's very unlikely, but consider what Notre Dame wants to sell and then consider what America saw last night. Because we've talked about this many times with Notre Dame. Uh, They, like many teams out there, uh, grant you, are a quarterback away. We say it about Penn State all the time, and boy, do we have a lot to say about Penn State coming up later in the show. But we say it about Penn State. We said it about Notre Dame. How different would that program be if you just took an elite quarterback and put it on the roster, keep everything else as is? Well, they don't have that right now, and so in lieu of that, we said last week, in order for this game to be competitive, all you need is Ian Book to play the best game of his career, which sounded far-fetched, but I did kind of draw a comparison to what Jake Fromm was able to do a couple of times against Alabama. Jake Fromm was quarterback for Georgia, had a very good career, not a great career, but a very good career, but he played great football in the biggest moments against Alabama, You wouldn't expect that. You'd think he'd light up Vanderbilt or South Carolina. No, man, he did it against Alabama. So I said, if Notre Dame's going to win the game, Ian Book needs to do that. This kid last night goes 23 of 39, 310 yards and a touchdown. That is not an Ian Book stat line. But yet that's what he did last night. Needed the game of his career, got the game of his career. I was very happy. I sometimes... You guys claim I'm biased, and I'm not. And I always tell you, you don't need to guess. I'll tell you. So I had a bias in this game last night. I was pulling for Notre Dame. Plenty of times I pull for Clemson. It's not an anti-Clemson thing, but I was pulling for Notre Dame last night. I've just always had it. Well, I haven't always. Actually, I was raised to hate Notre Dame. But when I went up there in 2017 for that Georgia game, it was the first time I'd been up there, and uh, it you know, felt kind of like a movie scene, mainly because it is, but I, you know, all, my only impression of South Bend had been the movie Rudy, so I went up there, fell in love with the place. Uh, southern hospitality is a real thing, but the folks in South Bend, Indiana acted like they were from Opelika, Alabama, so it felt like I was home. It's just the southern accents weren't there, and there was a little bit more corn, but it was great. I loved it up there, so I kind of have had a little side rooting interest for Notre Dame, And I like tradition. I I very much respect the tradition of college football. So I was pulling for him last night. So I was very happy to see it. So I had bias in this game. To be perfectly clear, they had to make someone not named Travis Etienne beat them. I did like four radio hits, and I did one in Indiana. I did a few in the Carolinas last week, and every one of them, I said the same thing. And that's not rocket science. But they did it, Travis Etienne. You could have made the argument was the best football player on the field last night, going into the game at least. And yet there he is, eighteen carries for twenty eight yards. Also, not to be overlooked, the punter hawked him down before the half. That was huge. Tried to hurdle him. Punters, not to be trifled with at Notre Dame at least. So you may think Clemson is going to win this rematch when it happens. You may think that, I may think that when it comes, I'm not going to make any prediction right now. Uh, Let's make sure the game happens first. But I don't necessarily know that it matters all that It matters, but I don't know that it matters all that much within the context of what was accomplished last night for Notre Dame. This is a huge deal. I don't think maybe we will fully understand it until history is able to look back on it. Because like I said, with Florida beating Georgia, it's all about what they do with it. Well, it's all about what Brian Kelly and Notre Dame do with this win. But number one, now we know, Clemson has to get to the ACC title game, which they probably will. Number two, it could be the case at this point, that Notre Dame sees themselves in a position where they can afford to lose the ACC title game and still make the playoff. You never know. Maybe Ohio State's in, maybe Bama's in, maybe Clemson's in, maybe, maybe there's room. Maybe we're comparing Texas A&M, uh, a, a two-loss Florida, Notre Dame one loss. Maybe that's what we're doing. You just got to make sure you win your games and take care of business so that now, instead of there being one narrow path, Notre Dame's got a couple of paths. When's the last time you said that about the Irish? So, congratulations to Brian Kelly and company there. MTV's official challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We have so many other Week 10 takeaways. I think it was back in August. We did a segment. I don't even think I had Colin clip it because it was only like two, two and a half minutes, but I did a segment and I just floated a theory that we were going to have working. We always have a certain number of working theories here on the show for any given year. And for 2020, given that it was the COVID year, not a COVID year, it's only been one of them. So the COVID year, as Matthew McConaughey called it earlier in our interview with him, these COVID-19 times. Well, since it was these COVID-19 times, we floated what we were just going to call the lost season theory. And the lost season theory was that sure enough, COVID was proportionately affecting the entirety of America. And so you were going to be able to say, well, all the programs had to deal with it. And that in a way is true, but I mean, that's like a blanket. The fact of the matter is Once we get into the season, and we are here now, and once we are removed from the season a few months from now, you're going to be able to look back, and inevitably, COVID will have disproportionately impacted some programs way more than others, maybe even in the same division, in the same conference, way more than others and excuses are going to be made, and they're going to fall on deaf ears because, again, the retort will be, well, everyone else had to deal with them. That's true. You just never know a million different minor impacts on top of the major impacts that COVID could have had on a program. So my point is Penn State's dealing with it right now. Michigan's probably dealing with it right now. What do you say? What do, you, do you hold those coaches and those teams to the normal standard, or do you internally, or maybe even as a fan base, do you understand? And do you just kind of have an unwritten rule and, and a magic head nod or handshake with everyone that it just is what it is this year? So let's talk about some games yesterday, because I'm going to circle back around to the two I mentioned. Arkansas beat Tennessee 24 to 13. I don't know how many of you watched this. Probably what you saw is a halftime score of Tennessee up 13 to nothing. And then you see the final score. Uh, Jarrett Garantano eventually landed, if you're looking at the freeze frame column was showing you there, and he was knocked out of the game afterwards. So. I want to start with Arkansas fans, because I love Arkansas fans. They show up. That's why I love them. Last week, our best bet was against Arkansas. We took a and and Arkansas fans flooded the inbox, and they said, shame on you. You'll be proven wrong. Well, we weren't. We were proven right. But you know what they did Sunday? They showed up. Every single one of them showed up and said, well, I guess you were right. Okay, good game, though. Well, then we took Tennessee. Not as our best bet, but we took Tennessee against Arkansas later in the week. I even made it one of our featured plays uh, come yesterday morning. And they came for me again. But this time, they were right. And so, as long as you're there beforehand, and as long as you show up when you're wrong, I am willing to stand here like, like Dwight Schrute on an office desk and just wear the necklace attached to a poster board that says, Liar. I lied about Arkansas yesterday. turns out I lied about Tennessee yesterday, too. So we did not have a padlock stat in this game. We had a padlock quarter, our first ever padlock quarter. Colin watched it, painfully watched it yesterday. He knew what I was talking about as soon as I walked in. The third quarter in this game was unlike anything I think I've seen all year. I want you to listen to this. And keep in mind, this is not a stat line that Alabama put on Tennessee. This is a stat line Arkansas put on Tennessee. They had... In the third quarter alone, down 13 to nothing, by the way, Arkansas had a 257 to 16 total yards advantage. Uh, They had a six of seven third down rate. Arkansas had 10 first downs in the third quarter alone. They had 170 yards passing and 80 yards rushing in the third quarter alone. They ran 28 plays to Tennessee's 10 plays in the third quarter alone. Arkansas, ran off a 9.2 yards per play clip in the third quarter. Tennessee was 1.6. And oh, by the way, the most important stat, Arkansas outscores Tennessee 24 to nothing in the third quarter. And you may say, wait a second, that can't be right. They only scored 24 in the whole game. That's right, friends, all 24 Arkansas points. The Piglets hung in one quarter of play yesterday. So now they're 3-3 three and three officially, but really they're 4-2. and two. You and I both know that. They have got a trip to Florida this week. They've got LSU, they go uh, to Missouri, and then they've got Alabama. Congratulations to Arkansas. Now on the flip side of that coin, it was very disheartening for you guys. I know, you Tennessee fans, I've heard from you already today. The offense is a mess. The quarterback situation is a mess. We finally got to see Harrison Bailey yesterday, but yet if you were to have had the Tennessee headsets on, you probably would have heard something along these lines. Jim, you can put him in the game, but if he throws the ball, I'm going to stab you in the neck because that's exactly what happened. Harrison Bailey goes in the game, handoff, 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 handoff. Oh, here's the best part. Then we get to fourth down. Then we're going to let him throw. Here's the second best part. Then we're in a no timeouts, hurry up situation where we got to have two scores and we're going to keep the guy least equipped to run hurry up in the game. We're not going to play him anywhere else, but we're going to play him in the time of the game he's truly least equipped to handle. So that was brilliant because, I mean, Arkansas played a blanket coverage and just left a gap over the middle of the field, basically doing everything but yelling across and saying, throw it to the middle of the field. And you know what Harrison Bailey did? Because he's about 14 years old, he threw it to the middle of the field. And then tick, 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 tick. And it felt like that happened about 10 times in a row. And uh, like Bud Elliott said last night, Tennessee was on pace to tie that game with about negative seven minutes left to go. And that pace never really sped up. So Bailey got in. Great. The run to pass ratio yesterday, coming out of a bye, when we thought we may see a, a little bit more offensive advancement, fifty to twenty one was the run to pass ratio. By the time the third quarter wrapped up, though, it was a thirty eight to ten run to pass ratio. So, what can we do with this game? Well, I think for the season, you got to look at it eventually, and you got to say it's a throwaway season for Tennessee. They fall right in line with kind of what you're seeing from Penn State, uh, what you're seeing from from Michigan. It's a throwaway season, but you better learn from it because I don't, uh, unlike some of you guys, I'm not even entertaining this Jeremy Pruitt hot seat talk. That's no, no, that's, that's not even on the back burner for me. You want to talk hot seat? We are in a second, but not for Jeremy Pruitt. But I will say this, they better learn some lessons because there is nothing they're doing right now that has a redeemable quality to it offensively moving forward. Speaking of which, it is no longer October. The calendar has turned and it is no win November in Columbia, South Carolina. The Gamecocks were also coming off a bye, so you figure to get a, a very spirited backs against the wall effort yesterday, forty-eight to three. They got bent over by Texas A&M, forty-eight to three. Uh, if you were to narrate this, I mean, you would narrate it, and the narrator would lean in in Morgan Freeman voice and say, "South Carolina was off a bye at the time of this game." 530 to 150 yardage edge for the Aggies, 26 to nine first down edge, 7.4 to 2.8 yards per play edge. Totally different level of football being played right now by Texas A&M. Some of you will never be impressed when a good team does what they're supposed to to a bad team. But I don't know how many more times you have to see stuff like, for instance, Michigan yesterday uh, getting smoked or yesterday, uh, Indiana or not Indiana, uh, Maryland doing what they did to Penn State. I don't know how many more times people need to see that until you understand there is a credit to be given for just taking care of business. They're playing at a different level. They are very good. Texas A&M is a very, very good team. Kellen Mond, another day with no turnovers. 16 for 26, 224 yards. I I thought he played the best game he's played of his career last week, played pretty good last night. So Texas A&M, they got to go right back out on the road to Tennessee again this weekend. It's going to be another take care of your business type deal. They're favored by 13. A lot of you think that number's too low. Uh, they're in a double do-down spot, so I don't know that we're going to touch it this week. But as for Will Muschamp, there were some rumors floating out there today. Someone, I don't know who it was, suggested he's getting fired today. I can pretty confidently tell you that's not happening. I tweeted that out earlier at late if you're not already following me. But I don't argue with someone who would suggest it's inevitable at this point. I think that our buddy J.C. Sherbert over on the Big Spur pretty accurately described it as the arrows are out, and that was due to sourcing that he has very close to the program. So, I mean, Sherbert's very close to South Carolina, a lot closer than I am, and they understand what's going on over there. I just don't know that you look at yesterday's result, and the last thing you had seen before that was the LSU game. So, I don't know how you look at these results, and it even leaves a doubt anymore. If these were competitive, it's one thing, but I don't know where they're going. And like I told you with Muschamp, Muschamp long ago learned how to handle a loss. And when I say handle it, I mean sort of the PR tactic of make sure not to run so they don't chase you. So he gets in his post game yesterday and he does the same. Oh, we got out coached, out physical, and great. OK, but it's like the 19th time we've heard it in the past two years. So that's gotten a little old. I would lean heavily towards changes probably coming towards the end of the year there. The only thing that is in, in line to maybe save you is if they've just already made an internal decision, we're not making a change no matter what. And I don't know that that decision's been made there. I think uh, maybe leaning towards the opposite. Penn State got smoked by Maryland yesterday. Maryland scored 35 points against Penn State. You tell me how this stat ever happens. Maryland and Mike Loxley. And Baby Tua score 35 against Penn State. They never had a snap in the red zone. Not one. That's how thoroughly toasted Penn State safeties were all day yesterday. This to me, I I know he had an ugly one early in his career, but I mean you're several years into your tenure now. I don't think you have a worse loss in the James Franklin era than this one. They were favored by 27 and a half. They were a four-touchdown favorite in this game yesterday. They never had a shot. Maryland was up multiple scores the entire day. So there's a harsh reality here. Circle right back to what we talked about in August, like I led the segment with, the lost season theory. It's just a lost season. And the reason I floated it back then was because I wanted to remind you, you you gotta figure out ahead of time how you choose to process this stuff. Because if someone's gonna have a lost season, you almost have to understand it needs to be isolated totally from the rest of reality. Like 2020 has to be a one-season scenario in a vacuum that's not even connected to 2019 or 2021. That is how I'm choosing to view Penn State. They're bad. I mean, they're horrible. Offensively, they've regressed. At quarterback, they've regressed. They got a new coordinator in there. Nothing's taken root. It's terrible. It's like planting seeds in a gravel parking lot. Nothing's taken root. Having said that, it is truly like beating a dead horse. I don't think this product's going to get a whole lot better. I just don't think this team's very good. And so, I mean, yesterday, John Dotson, who is one of the few bright spots on this team afterwards was meeting with reporters. And this is a quote from him. He said, we're not as one right now. We're not a unit. There's a lot of different things going on that are distractions we shouldn't be focused on. Now, I don't know what in the world that means, I have been privy to the inner workings of college football programs before enough to know there are a million things that could be going on, but that's a normal year. Tack on the garbage that you've had to deal with with COVID. And like I said, for whatever reason, some premier programs are going to end up being disproportionately impacted relative to other ones. I mean, Penn State and Florida exist in the same world. Yet I think it's pretty clear for whatever reason, COVID has disproportionately impacted this team. And and the external factors have impacted them more than Florida. I can't tell you why. Florida had to cancel games because of this. So it's not like they haven't been impacted. They've handled it better. Penn State's just been ill-equipped to handle it. And if you want to judge James Franklin and his future on that, that that's fine. Like That's your business. I just don't know that I'm going to take a once-in-a-generation situation and his inability to handle it as a means to question whether he's the guy for my program long-term when things are back to normal. So I mean, they're 0-3 right here. The dynamics, the offense are are totally MIA. They looked very lifeless yesterday. You would expect a a true backs against the wall, wounded, animal mode, whatever you want to call it. You got none of that. But I'm not budging on James Franklin. Other coaches, I am. I'm about to talk about one in just a second, but I'm not going anywhere on him. So like a lot of you were DMing me, I just, that's not where I am on James Franklin. Maybe you make changes there. I just don't know the head coach is one of them. It'd help to find a quarterback though. Indiana beat Michigan 38-21. I was so in love with Michigan last week. Michigan minus three was one of our favorite bets of the week. Never close. We were just wrong. We were just dead wrong on it. It was stunning. It continues to be stunning how bad Michigan is at corner. The defensive back play outside of Dax Hill, the defensive back play on this team, especially at corner, is abysmal. It's terrible. I, I always mention hashtag Michigan buddy, the Michigan buddy or buddies I have. They were lighting up the phone last week. They were saying, we, even against Michigan State, we cannot play the defense Don Brown wants to play because we don't have the talent or even anything comparable to talent at corner in order to play this stuff. And he puts his guys out on islands and they just get abused. And yesterday they got abused again. And I want to remind you, this is not Ohio State and Alabama they're getting abused against. Like They played Alabama back in the uh, Verbo Citrus Bowl. I was down there for that. Uh, got the sunburn to show for it. Okay. Jerry Judy does that to you. That's one thing. Who in the world in this viewing audience outside of East Lansing and uh, Bloomington know the receiving units for Michigan state or Indiana? And no one knows. It's not disrespect, but no one knows. And if you've watched this, it's, it's not calculus. It's just basic math. It's ABCs. It's, if you get in trouble, just throw the ball up. That was it that was the strategy just throw the ball up you'll either catch it or I mean they'll they'll yank your shirt off trying to trying to prevent you from catching it you'll get the PI and you get the first down that's as easy as it is to beat Michigan right now it's so embarrassing and kind of sad to watch. I don't know how it gets to that point but it's at that point right now so that combined with the fact that in the year 2020 Indiana is out rushing Michigan 118 to 13. Like that's an actual stat, not after the first quarter, the whole football game yesterday, Indiana outrushed Michigan, 118 to 13, missing a couple of offensive linemen. I know tough. Is that the gap between you and Michigan? Like are you and Indiana? Is that what we're saying? Well, we're only really two offensive linemen better than Indiana. No, no, no one's thought that before now. So Indiana's not a bad team that they beat Penn state. they've, They've beaten Michigan. Now it's not a bad team think we understand what the pecking order is supposed to be in the Big Ten. Well, it's not that. So here we go. Back to the inbox yesterday. I've got written right here. I'm not going to read these quotes. There are too many of them. But is Harbaugh done? That's all anyone wants to go to after someone loses a game. And I understand it. Uh, The difference is most of the time it's an outside observer. Well, this time it's a bunch of Michigan fans suggesting it to me. Is Harbaugh done? Is Harbaugh done? I don't know that. Now, his contract situation is a little bit different. They haven't extended him. I don't know, maybe, maybe this will be the first time in the history of college football a, a contract is just allowed to expire on its own. But he has a card left in his back pocket to play. It's the Don Brown card. So he could fire Don Brown, theoretically, and you could say, well, defense has been our problem. I don't know who, in, unless you're hiring three corners to replace him. I don't know how in the world the product's going to get a lot better. But remember the reset philosophy that I gave you on Michigan. the reason I've been hesitant to buy into this whole, this is Harbaugh's last year, whatever is because he at least has made a cognizant effort to hit a reset button offensively. It's not a microwave. Okay. You don't pop the thing in and two minutes later, it comes out and you're hanging 55 a game. It's going to take a while, but Jim Harbaugh has at the very least committed to changes offensively. Do they have the right quarterback for it right now? Probably not. But do they have the wide receiver talent for it? Probably not, but at least they're trying to work towards it. So I haven't necessarily been on board to the degree that a lot of you have with saying, let's dump this guy. Having said that, would it shock me at the end of the year if he was gone by their choice or by mutual choice? No, it wouldn't shock me at all. There's not a lot of energy you feel about that program. And that's, it's noticeable. It's palpable. I'm not even around the program. Know some, know some people who are, but I'm not around the program. So I know we're in the weeds right now. We're in the weeds of the season. Everyone's emotional. That's why I tried to cover this in August. Before Toe met Leather, and I tried to ask amongst ourselves, what are we going to think about this? How are we going to process this year? It's not a matter of if. It is a certainty that there are going to be premier teams somewhere. Don't know which conference. Don't know which coach. Some of these teams are going to be terrible this year. And some of them are ranked top 10 in your preview magazine right now. They're going to be terrible and it's probably going to be in large part due to the unnatural feel of the season and all the ramifications. How are we going to handle it? You can't wait till you get in the season because once you get in the season, you don't think about this season any different than any other. So you hold coaches to the same standard and you have the same expectation you do in a normal year. And if you do that, you got 47 coaches getting fired out there. So I'll tell you what it does. It, It translates right to my next topic to wrap the show up here. But That was a lot of what I saw this weekend. And we've got a schedule this upcoming week that allows me to go a little bit into greater detail about some of this. So you'll want to catch the Tuesday and Thursday shows. In the meantime, one of my favorite movies growing up was Jaws. I had the movie poster on my wall and there's a scene in Jaws. A lot of you have seen it where they want the beaches to be open for the 4th of July. And the mayor is imperative that we open these beaches for the 4th of July. And so, hey, it's Amity Island. It's the 4th of July. Everybody comes to the beach, but no one wants to go in the water. Everyone's on the beach. Everyone's got their suntan lotion on their nose, but no one wants to go in. And so he finally asks one of his buddies, the mayor says, why aren't you going in the water? And they're making excuses, but really they love the beach and they love the idea of going into the water. They're just scared to go in the water. And with that, I welcome you to the world of current athletic directors in college football. Everybody wants Hugh Freeze. Well, most of them. Most of them want Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is 7-0. He is at Liberty, 7-0. They've got wins at Syracuse. Yesterday, they went to Virginia Tech as a 17-point dog and beat the Hokies straight up. Hugh Freeze is the ocean in Jaws on the 4th of July. The difference is, there is no shark in the water. A lot of what you think you need to be scared of, a lot of the risk you think is out there, and I'm talking to athletic directors right now. I know a few of you watch the show. I've heard from you before, directly or indirectly. A lot of the threat that you think is out there, it's just reward. It's, it's like the little kids who have little cardboard fin, and it, you think it's a shark. It's not, man. It's it's, it's foolishness. It's a, it's a few highbrow boosters who maybe rub rubbed the wrong way. You know, it's a couple of negative headlines and a publication that no one really cares about anymore, That's the shark you're scared of. Well, think about the reward that could be here. Read the room, in other words, is what I'm telling you. This dude's about to be a superstar again somewhere. I say again because this is the dude who gave Nick Saban fits twice in a row when he was at Ole Miss. Fans at multiple programs are now clamoring for Hugh Freeze. That's how I know it's an inevitability this is coming. I don't know how many message boards I surfed yesterday and I saw topic after topic of Hugh Freeze can we get Hugh Freeze? What about Hugh Freeze? It's everywhere. Fans want it. A lot of folks internally want it. They just don't want to vocalize it yet because they're scared again of the almighty negative headline. Uh, headlines, by the way, still kill 0.00 people per year, kind of like ghosts. A lot of people are scared of ghosts. The next person a ghost kills will be the first person. So headlines, my goodness. But if we can get past the sharp teeth of those headlines, He's coming. I don't know where he's coming, but he's coming. So here's the question I I just encourage you guys to ask. You're not paying me a consultation fee, but I'm doing this. I'm doing the legwork for you. Number one, can he win and can he recruit? Can he build? Answer emphatically, yes. Uh, Number two, can he win long-term? I think the answer there is yes. Number three, does he have an established track record? Yes, he does. And number four, forget about the stigmas. Okay, Lane Kiffin just got a job at Ole Miss. Forget about stigmas. Are there any current NCAA violations or problems hanging over his head? If the answer there is yes, 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 and no, grab your stamp and put your team's logo on Hugh Freeze's forehead. A few negative headlines are not a risk. Highbrow academics here and there who are turned off by what it does to the veneer of your program, they'll be silenced the first time you win a game. And that's the only risk you're really running. Because if you think this dude's about to get embroiled in another NCAA scandal or another off-the-field scandal, if given a second chance at a high-profile program, you're crazy. He'll probably be in bed by 8.30 every night. Either hire him now or lose to him down the road. That's my fair warning about Hugh Freeze. That guy's about to get a major job. There's going to be a big market. There already is for him. Take my advice. Hire him now or lose to him down the road. Hugh Freeze paid me zero dollars to say that. Uh, Where do we want to go here? Colin, I'll tell you what. To wrap it up, let's go back to the Ramen Noodle Express. The Ramen Noodle Express was three and four yesterday. By the way, I know some of you were watching the Texas Tech game yesterday. It wasn't the Texas Tech game. It was the TCU game. You don't deserve to have a game named after you. When with three timeouts and two minutes and 45 seconds left to go in regulation, down nine, inside your opponent's 30-yard line, on second down, you choose to kick a field goal. Because that's what Texas Tech did yesterday. I want to run this situation by you again. Texas Tech is down nine. We have them plus nine and a half. They're down nine. We're good. Okay, we're we're fine. How in the world we lost this is beyond me. We're down nine, and there are two minutes, 45 seconds left. We have all three timeouts and we're driving on TCU and we get down inside the 30 yard line and it's second down and the clock is stopped by the way and we kick a field goal and we miss it. We miss the 39 yard field goal. And afterwards, Max Duggan takes the ball and houses it 80 something yards. So that's ball game. We lose the spread and we lose the game, of course. And afterwards, I'm not even mentioning names. I'm too aggravated to right now. But I'm told in the head coaching post game press conference, well, that was the right thing to do because we needed a touchdown and a field goal to win. And so I looked up the rules. And as it turns out, if you go with a couple of more passes, if they fall incomplete, the clock stops, so you don't lose much time. If you get a first down, the clock stops momentarily and you're next to the end zone at that point anyway. But did you also know that if you're down nine and you score a touchdown and then another touchdown, you win? Did you know, Or did you know that you could score the touchdown... And then get in field goal range to end the game if you get the onside kick or, or maybe even if you use your timeouts and stop them on defense the, uh, the following possession. Did you know that works out too? So some of the worst game management I've ever seen at Texas Tech. But it's not like I'm sore about it or anything. Please don't misunderstand me. Um, having said that, we move on. We're still 58% against the number this year. So we're doing very, very well. We are jumping on West Virginia minus three. This is a noon kickoff this Saturday. They are playing TCU. That's the same team that burned us yesterday, actually. I didn't think about that. So they didn't burn us. The team we took burned us. So we're taking West Virginia minus three. That is our early best bet. Strongly encourage you. Oh, we're 59%. We're not 58%. Ha! Slap myself on the wrist for that. I strongly encourage you to follow me on Twitter. I hand out several... Uh, actually four out of our six last week I ended up handing out on Twitter and not live on the show. At Late Kick Josh we also had a game cancelled last week so I had to hand out a new one because of that. So um, make sure you follow me there for that and a lot of other fun that we have on there during the week. And make sure you subscribe to the uh, 24-7 Sports YouTube channel if you haven't already. Alright, we got to get out of here because i got a lot to do tonight and we got a busy week coming up. So, for Director Colin, for Jordan and Tani on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks for watching. Have a great week and God bless.